There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Bible would you like to go to tonight? You tell me. What book? All right. Well, let's go to Mark then. Open your Bible to the gospel according to Mark. We began in Mark chapter 1. I want you to find the last chapter in Mark. It's Mark chapter number 16. And perhaps some of you are wondering devotionally where you're going to start when you get back home. Might I recommend Mark to you? At least for the next 16 days, you could take a chapter a day and get you in the habit of continuing to read the God's Word when you get back home. And this book of Mark, I think, will minister to your heart. In fact, years ago, I read about a young man who went off to a secular university in Germany. He was a Christian, trying to live the Christian life while he was in this secular college. And while he was there, people tried to tear his faith down. They tried to convince him there was no God, and the Bible was a bunch of lies and stories. And I'm telling you, he was under a satanic attack. And he later said that the only thing that kept him from losing his faith while he was there in college was every night when he got back to his room, he read through the entire gospel of Mark every night before he went to bed. It's only 16 chapters long. It's the shortest of the four gospel records. You can read it all through in one sitting fairly quickly. It moves right along like this fast-moving drama, this gospel of action. And I want to suggest to you that maybe the thing that might help your faith when you get home from camp and the emotion has subsided, and for the record, it will subside. It will subside. You know, people leave summer camp, and they're going to charge hell with a squirt gun. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're going to win the world to God and never sin again and do everything right. The reality is some of those people, six weeks later, you can't even find them in church. I don't want that to be you. And so tonight, I bring you to Mark 16 because Mark 16 is really not the end. It's the end of the gospel according to Mark, but it's the beginning. See, with the Lord, it's always a new beginning. Sin leads you to a dead end. Jesus leads you to another door. The devil leads you to a wall. The Lord leads you to a door that opens to much more. And so when you come to Mark 16, it is the record of the resurrection of Jesus. Aren't you glad we have a living Savior? You say, how do you know he lives? I talked to him today. He's doing quite well. And he spoke to me today. He lives in me. And if you're saved, he lives in you. The tomb is empty. Jesus is gone. The angel is there. The women arrive. Look at Mark 16 and verse number 7. The angels say to the women, but, and there's a little tiny word here. It's a small word. It's one of God's favorites. In fact, you've got to have these two letters to have the name God. You have to have these two letters to have the name good. You have to have these two letters to have the name gospel. It's the little two-letter word, go. Would you take your pen out and circle it in your Bible in verse number 7, but, Go your way, 
Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Now turn over to the end and look at verse number 15. Jesus shows up. It's not an angel speaking now. It's Christ himself. If you've got a red-letter edition Bible, you'll see the words of Christ in red. And this time, the message is not to the women. This time, it's to the men. You see, God's Word is for everybody. It's for all the ladies and for all the men. And what does Jesus say to the disciples? He said to them in verse 15. What's the first word, please? I'm sorry. I know it's Friday night, but I didn't hear you. What's the word? Go. Take your pen in verse 15. Circle the little word again. Go. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then come immediately to the last verse of the book and look at verse 20. And they went. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And all God's campers said, Amen. And so you've marked in your Bible in verse number 7, what word, please? What's the word? Go. And in verse 15, you've marked in your Bible, what word, please? Go. And in verse 20, I want you to mark this little phrase, and they went. I'm speaking tonight on this subject, God says go. Say that with me, would you please? God says go. I want you to say it like a preacher. Ready? God says go. No, I want you to say it like a Pentecostal preacher. Let's try it. Ready? God says go. You, you do better if you preach at the center next to you. So everybody turn and face the center next to you, would you please? Get your preaching finger out. I know you girls have one. I want you to point at that center, and on the count of three, we're going to say it. Ready? One, two, three. God says go. Look back at me and say it again. What is it? God says go. Now listen to me, please. Listen to me very carefully. You're going to help me preach tonight. And I'll tell you why you're going to help me preach tonight. I'm not just doing this so you'll listen. I'm doing this so when you go home, you'll repeat it. I, I, I don't want you just to listen tonight. Look, you've been really good hearers all week long. But James says we must not just be hearers. We must also be doers of the Word. And God doesn't just give you truth to keep. God gives you truth to give. And in fact... I don't want you just to preach tonight. I hope all of you will preach when you get home. And you may say, I'm not a preacher. Oh, but remember, the preaching here is the preaching of the gospel. It's the preaching everybody's supposed to do. And God says what? Go. Now, hold your place in Mark 16. Put your right hand in Mark 16. Hold your place. We're coming right back. I want you to go back with me to Mark chapter 1 just a second. We've been camping in Mark all week long. And I want you to see how the book opened. Do you remember? Jesus called a bunch of disciples that they would be with him in Mark chapter 3. But look at Mark chapter 1. This is fascinating to me. Look at verse number 17. When I stop, you say the next word. Put your eyes on Mark 1, 17. Ready? And Jesus said unto them, hmm. So the introductory word is what word? Come. And the concluding word is the word go. You can boil the entire Christian life down to two words. Would you like to boil it all down to two words? Look, first. You come to Jesus. And by the way, you don't just come to Jesus when you get saved. That's when you begin to follow after Jesus. But really the Christian life is you just keep on coming. You remember last night I told you about taking that one gigantic step? Funny thing, after I took that one gigantic step, you know what I had to do when I got to the bottom of that bungee? I had to unharness, and I had to walk away. I had to keep walking. You don't get out of bed in the morning, take one step, and say, well, got that done for the day, and go back to bed. There are mornings like that, I understand, but... Most days, you've got to keep walking. Look, please, the Christian life is not a jump, it's a walk. 
It is not a one-time leap, a one-time decision, one week at camp. It is a daily walk with Jesus Christ. So you come to Jesus, and then you keep on coming after Jesus. Literally, I like this. Peter said, we are to follow in his steps. In my mind, I'm in the mountains of West Virginia right now, trying to keep up with my grandfather's big size 12 boots walking through the snow in the mountains because I so admired him. Look, please, there's somebody walking ahead of you. We're going to see it in just a minute. And Jesus says, I want you to come after me and keep on coming. But watch, if you come, eventually you have to go. Because remember, Jesus ordained 12, Mark 3, verse 15, that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. In fact, on our way back to Mark 16, everybody stop in Mark 5 just for a second real quick. Look at Mark chapter 5. It's amazing how it all fits together. Mark 5, Jesus saves a demon-possessed man. Hey, I'm telling you, you, you get a head-on collision with Jesus, you never get over it. I, this guy got radically transformed by the mighty power and grace of Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And notice what the Bible says in verse number 18. He literally prayed, Jesus, that he could be with him. That's the heart of every true Christian. Every Christian wants to be closer to Jesus. Every person that really knows him wants to know him better. Those who love him ought to love him more. Oh, Jesus, I want to be with you. But notice verse number 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. That sounds rude. No. Did Jesus just say, no, you can't go with me? Did Jesus just say, no, you can't travel with the disciples? Oh, there's a reason. There's a, there's a method to look at it, please. And he saith unto him, what's the first word in verse 19 Jesus said? Uh, and look on. Don't just go. Go where? Huh. And don't just go home. Go home and do something. Look, go home to who? My friends. Isn't that interesting? you got friends here. I hope you made some new friends. How many of you got friends that didn't come to camp this week? Would you raise your hand? Uh, well, let me ask a different question. How many of you got friends who didn't come to camp that are lost? How many of you got friends that didn't come to camp that you wish you'd come to camp because they're not where they need to be with the Lord right now? How many of you got family members that have spiritual needs? Look, please. The Bible says, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. How many of you know God's done some big things in your life this week? Has the Lord taught you something? Then go tell somebody about it. Has the Lord changed something in you? Then go tell somebody about it. Has the Lord drawn you near to himself? Then let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Go and tell somebody about it. And that's why I keep turning back over to Mark 16. When you get to Mark 16, Jesus is not just sending them away. He's sending them on a mission. God says what? Go. I want to give you some very simple thoughts tonight, and I want you to write them down somewhere. On a piece of paper in the margin of your Bible somewhere, you might not need it tonight, but you're going to need it next Friday. You might not need it tonight, but you're going to need it when you get back home and things aren't so easy. And let me just tell you why I'm doing this. You remember last night I told you that it was a summer camp where God called me to preach? That night, everybody was so excited for me, kind of like everybody has been for you this week. I actually thought when I got home, everybody was still going to be excited. Boy, was I disappointed. I went home to a certain family member. He's in heaven now. He loved me. He really did. He wanted the best for me. And I said to him, God's called me to preach. I thought he was going to jump up and hug me and say, oh, son, that's the greatest thing in the world. I'm just so glad you're going to be a preacher. He didn't. 
He was a Christian. He looked at me and he said, well, that might work out. But I'll tell you what you probably ought to do, Scott. You probably ought to plan on doing something different. That way, just in case the whole preaching thing doesn't work, you got something to fall back on. He meant well. Listen to me. He meant well. Sometimes people who love you and sometimes even people who love Jesus say things without thinking that they probably shouldn't say, and they pour water on your fire. He didn't know it, but when I left his house, I cried. I remember walking down the sidewalk because I thought he was going to be like one of my best cheerleaders, and instead, maybe it won't work out. By the way, the rest of that story is, before he went to heaven, he drove two hours one night to hear me preach at a youth meeting. This is a little church. The place was packed with teenagers. And, oh, God met with us that night. We had a whole bunch of teenagers get saved. It was a really special meeting. And when the meeting was done and all the young people had gone home, I was walking out of the church, and he waited for me on the parking lot. I'll never forget it. And he put his arm around me, and he said, Son, he said, I just want to tell you, I drove over here to listen to you preach tonight. And he said, I saw what the Lord is doing in this place. And he said, I just want to tell you, you're doing exactly what you ought to be doing with your life. See, Proverbs says wisdom is justified of her children. You know what that means? It means sometimes the kids got to grow up to prove that you made the right decision. It means just because you know it and God knows it doesn't mean everybody else is going to understand it. I went back to my school, Christian school. Said to my best buddy, who was a star basketball player in our school, Hey, David, God called me to preach this summer at camp. I just thought he was going to be, man, that's awesome, great. He laughed at me. I never forget what he said. He said, man, you're going to spoil all our fun. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to be a preacher? He said, you can be a preacher when you're old. He said, when you're young, you're just supposed to have a lot of fun and goof off. And I said, you don't understand. We're going to have fun, goof off. I said, I just know that's what God wants me to do with my life. And I just surrendered my life to that. I want to start serving God. You know, from that day to the day we graduated, things were not the same between us. Still friends. He didn't understand the rest of that story was, a few years ago, I was preaching a summer camp in Michigan, and I told that little snippet of a story, and a guy came up to me afterward, and he knew where I was from, and he said, was your friend, because I'd said the boy's first name, he said, was your friend, and he said his full name, and I was stunned. I purposely didn't say his full name, I didn't want to embarrass him, and I said, yeah, that's my buddy. I said, you know him? He said, I not only know him, he said, I know where he is, I've kept up with him. Lives in New England. I said, how's he doing? He said, he's doing great. I said, wonderful. I said, what's he doing now? He smiled and he said, he's in the ministry now. God has a sense of humor, you see. And some of you, look, I'm trying to give you a reality check tonight. Because I love the enthusiasm. Don't you lose your fire. Don't you let anybody take that from you. But I know something. Emotions come and emotions go. And if you ride the ebb and flow, if you ride the religious roller coaster, then you're going to be up and down and in and out and on and off and hot and cold. If you let emotions run your life, emotions will ruin your life. You better get rooted in something stable, secure, and sure before you go home because it's the only way you're going to stay the course when somebody fights against it. Here are the truths. Number one, go back to verse number 7. First verse we read tonight, Mark 16, verse 7. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter. I love that little word of mercy. Peter really had blown it. Remember, he cursed and swore and said he didn't know Jesus. And I think Jesus called him by name just to say, look, I forgive you. It's going to be all right. That he goeth, and here's the word, before you. Would you mark that? Here's the first truth I want you to learn about the God who says go. Number one, when God says go, he goes before you. 
I love that. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse number 8, Israel's getting ready to go in to the promised land, and Moses says, And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. I got good news for you tonight, young person. The God who is God at this campground is God in your hometown. The same God who spoke to you this week is now going to enable you to follow through on the decisions you made. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Right now, you got the will. you got the desire. When you get home, you're going to have to have the power of God to do it. But I want you to know it's the same God who is with you here that is going before you. In fact, every place you're getting ready to get on your vans and buses and go to, hold on to your seat. God is already there. See, God's not bound by time. God's not bound by geography. God's not bound by anything. Which means at this moment, the God who is a spirit is not only here in this place getting you ready for that place, he's in that place getting that place ready for you. In other words, God has gone before you And you can be sure of this, when you get there, you're going to find out that the Lord is leading and guiding in all the details there, just like the Lord was leading and guiding in the details here. We like to think sometimes that we're the leader. You're not the leader, you're the follower. And the Lord is always ahead of you. Somebody said, God is always previous. I like that. Nothing takes God by surprise. He's already out yonder, way out yonder ahead of you. You know where he went first? He went to heaven before you. Mark 16 says he goes to heaven and sits down at the right hand of the heavenly Father. But I got good news. Read the book of Hebrews. The Bible says he's our forerunner. That's an interesting word. What's a forerunner do? He goes ahead, but he means somebody's coming after all like this. You could never get to heaven on your own. So I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. He came to earth. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And then he ascended back to the right hand of the heavenly Father. And when he went through heaven's door, praise God, he left the door open behind him. He made a way so that someday you can go exactly where he is at this moment. And the same Christ who has gone before you in heaven is the same Christ that is going before you now on earth. The second truth I want you to write down, it just naturally follows. It's very logical. Number one, the God who said go not only goes before you, but number two, the God who said go will meet you when you get there. In fact, he meets you anywhere you obey him. I said I was going to have you help me preach, so let's review. Get your preaching finger out again. Now, once you get that written down, get your preaching finger out. And I want you to tell the person next to you, God's going to go before you, and God's going to meet you when you get there. Ready? Here we go. God's going to go before you, and God's going to meet you when you get there. Look back at me and say it again. God's going to go before you, and God's going to meet you when you get there. Look at our verse. Look at our verse. Mark 16, verse 7, go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. You might want to write down Matthew 26, verse number 32. You know what Matthew 26, 32 is? Matthew 26, 32 is when Jesus told them in advance, when I've risen from the dead, I'll meet you in Galilee. So in other words, it really shouldn't have been a surprise And yet he told them again because he wanted to remind them what he said the first time. Isn't it funny how quickly we forget the things we've heard and learned? There's two things he reminds them of here. He reminds them of his works and his words. 
Look at the verse. Everybody stare at the verse. Where was he going to meet them? In where? In where? In Galilee. You know what Galilee was? Galilee was where most of his ministry took place. Did you know, did you know that 25 of the recorded miracles of Jesus took place in Galilee? Did you know that 19 of the parables of Jesus were preached in Galilee? In other words, oh, I love this. He was saying to those followers, do you remember back there where I taught you? I'll meet you there. Do do you remember back there where you saw me heal? I'll I'll meet you there. Do you remember where I walked on water? I'll meet you there. Do, Do you remember where I healed a leper? I'll meet you there. Do you remember where I raised a dead man? I'll meet you there. What's he saying to them? He's saying, go back to what you know for sure because the same God who worked in the past is working now and the same God who spoke in the past is speaking now and when you just simply obey him, he will meet you there. In a very real sense, God is already everywhere. He's the omnipresent God but he meets us especially consciously with his presence when we obey. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hey, look up here. God has never forgotten you. He has never forsaken you. He has never failed you. And he's not about to start now at this moment in your life. Where will God meet you? Somebody said, well, is it some geographical location? Is that what you mean? Galilee, it wasn't about the geography. No, no. It was about them obeying what he said to do. In fact, mark two words in your Bible. You got the the verse in front of you? Mark the word see and the word said. This is interesting. They would not see him until they did what he said to do. See the divine order? When you obey whatever God told you to do this week, you're going to see God work. I'll tell you what everybody wants to do. They want to see God work and then decide whether they're going to obey him or not. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, if any man will do my will, he shall know of the doctrine. How many of you would like to go home and live a victorious Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you raise your hand? I'm going to tell you how. Real simple. Bottom line, you go home and obey Jesus. Whatever he told you to do this week, you go home and you do that. God always meets you where you obey him. And you know what's really interesting about Galilee? It's where every one of the disciples were from. Now, right now, they're they're in a different part of Israel, but Jesus said, get on back to Galilee. Watch this. Go home. Some of you say, oh, I love this camp. I just wish I could stay at this camp. Listen to me. You couldn't have this week at camp every week of your life. Number one, you'd be dead. You, you know, you couldn't sustain this kind of energy level all the time. You need a little more sleep and a little more order perhaps, but watch just a minute. I'm going to tell you what you can have. You can't stay at the camp and you can't take the camp with you, but the Jesus you met at the camp will go home with you. In fact, turn back a page in your Bible. Everybody still in Mark? Still in Mark? Turn back a couple pages in your Bible, would you please? I want you to find Mark chapter 14. Look at Mark 14 just a second. I'll show you something beautiful. This will help you. They are in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember Jesus praying before he goes to the cross? And everybody goes, that's right. Some of you fighting it right now. Stay with me now. They fell asleep. And Jesus, yes, he reproved them, but did you ever notice what he said at the end, the third time when he came back? He just let them sleep. (laughs) I'm glad the Lord remembers we're dust, aren't you? I'm glad the Lord is so merciful and patient with us. Look, some of you are going to mess up. You're going to mess up when you get home, and the devil's going to sit on your shoulder and say, Psst, see, I told you you didn't mean it. See, I told you you couldn't live it. Let me tell you what to do. At that moment, 
say out loud, Satan, you're a liar. And at that moment, determined by the grace of God, you're not going to have a conversation with a liar because you can't win that conversation. The accuser of the brethren is going to say things like that. Jesus doesn't do that. When you fail, he forgives and draws you back. But did you ever notice what he said in verse number 42? Rise up. By the way, we need a generation to rise up, to rouse themselves out of sleep and get on with it. Rise up. And then here's what I want you to see. Let, what's he say? Us go. Would you circle the little word us? That's the plural, I think. I'm sorry to use a grammar word in the middle of the summer, but let us go. Notice what he didn't say. Oh, I like this. He didn't say, hey, fellas, I'm going, and I'm going to leave you here. That had been sad. He didn't say, hey, guys, you go out and meet them. I'm going to hang back here a little while. He said, rise up, fellas. Let what? Us go. In other words, oh, I love this. Jesus said, I'm going. You fellas going with me? I like what Hudson Taylor said. He went to China, and they tried to get him to stay on the coastline. And he said, I'm not staying on the coastline. I'm starting the China Inland Mission because the inland souls need to hear about Jesus Christ. And Hudson Taylor was famous for saying this, God is always advancing. Let me tell you something about God. God's not sitting in neutral. God's not backing up. God's not swerving to the right or to the left. He's moving forward towards his great aim in this world. And you're going to have to decide tonight whether you're going forward with him when you go back home. Jesus said, I'll go before you, and I'll meet you as you obey me there. Go back, would you please? Let me give you a third one. The Lord will work with you as you do the one thing he told you to do. Now, there are many areas where you can go on with God, but I'm going to give you one tonight every one of us need to do, every one of us. It's found in verse number 15. He said unto them, Go ye, ye means me, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Can I tell you the one thing God wants done? He wants people to be saved. He said in 1 Timothy that he'll have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He said in Peter that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hey, you think God loves you more than those people back home? I tell you, God loves all people, and Christ died for every man, and the Lord wants people to be saved. And the only way they can be saved is those who know Jesus have to go tell them how they can be saved. You see how the cycle works? We come to Christ, then we go for Christ, and when we go, what do we do? We say the same word Jesus said, come. We make the same invitation. Matter of fact, last page of the Bible, Revelation 22, says the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You've heard, now it's time to speak. This is what the Holy Spirit loves to talk about. He loves to talk about Jesus. You're going to go home? How many of you have a favorite thing from this camp? You have a favorite thing? On the count of three, shout it out. One, two, three. Good. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad. Wonderful. But watch. You're going to go home and want to talk about that thing or that person, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to tell you the number one thing everybody in this room ought to go home talking about. Everybody in this room, look, ought to go home talking about Jesus. You ought to talk about how you met Jesus. You ought to talk about the difference Jesus has made in your life. You ought to talk about what you've learned about Jesus. You've got to, you, you need to go home and talk about what the Lord has prompted you to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do, when you start doing the one thing that Jesus wants you to go home and do, everybody look over at verse 20. Oh, I love it. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Would to God that would be true of this camp. Everywhere. 
And notice this phrase, the Lord working what? Huh, with them. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Because when we started on Monday night, we were trying to be with Jesus, and now Jesus says, I'm with you. Paul said to the church at Corinth, we are laborers together with God. Hey, I'm on an enlistment mission tonight. I'm signing up people to work on Jesus' work crew. Would you like to work on a really great work crew? He's a wonderful boss. He's, he's the foreman. He's the master of this work crew. And what's he doing? He's getting the gospel out and getting sinners in. He's getting the truth out and bringing people to Christ. And Jesus says, if you'll get in on that work, I will work with you there. You know, you read in the history books all these miraculous things and how God worked in an amazing way. You know what I believe? I think we'd see more of the demonstration of the power of God over Satan's power in this world and the power of this world if we were simply doing the one thing God gave us to do. You know what the power is? The power, hey, is in the gospel. Some of you, you think, well, I tell you, if we could just get a preacher like this to come to our town and preach that, it would really, it'd really make a difference. No, no, you missed the point. It doesn't work that way. You don't get everybody in one place, and you don't get a handful of preachers to go every place. The only way it happens is we got to multiply the preachers, which means tonight we're looking for some young men and young women and some older folks too to get stirred up for the Lord Jesus again about the goodness of the gospel and the glories of Christ and say, tell you what I'm going to do, I'm just going to go home and tell somebody. I'm going to find my place, and I'm going to do my part to bring somebody to Jesus. And when you do that, I'll tell you what the Lord will do. He'll take care of all the obstacles. In this chapter, he talks about them, every obstacle, every devil that comes against you, every language struggle, every circumstantial thing. The Lord says, that's nothing to me. I'll take care of that. Some of you are so scared right now about what you have to face when you get home. I want to remind you tonight that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's already there. He's going to meet you when you get there, and he's going to work with you as you do the one thing that God wants done in this world. I'll tell you something else. Look at the end of verse 20. The Bible says, in confirming the word with signs following Amen. I like that word, amen. That's a word of assurance. It's one of Jesus' names, too. you got Jesus' name written on the check. I like this. Watch this, please. The Lord, write this down, the Lord will do what you can't do. The disciples didn't produce the miracles and the signs. No, no, the Lord did all of that. It was a unique time during this apostolic age, but the principle is true for us. As we simply obey Jesus, follow Christ, and seek to get the gospel out and lead others to the Lord, you're going to see God do some amazing things. I'm going to tell you what your high school needs this year. It needs a Holy Spirit awakening. That's what it needs. I'm going to tell you what your youth group needs. It doesn't need to go back to stagnant, stale business as usual. It doesn't need that at all. It needs some young people to go back filled with the power of God and obeying Jesus, not perfect, not sinless, but obedient to what God gave them to do, and you just watch what God does in your youth group. I'll tell you what your town needs. It needs somebody that knows God. Did you come to know God this week? And you've got to make Him known. Does he mean something to you? And you got to go everywhere getting the message out. This is not the end. This is the beginning. 
You ever line up a bunch of dominoes, knock the first one down, watch the chain reaction? I want you to know that when God really touches a camp, when God really touches a life, when God really touches a youth group, it's not an event. It's a spiritual chain reaction, and God can get more done in a moment of time than you and I could in an entire summer of camps like this when we simply obey what he gave us to do. I'm sorry, but God didn't say stay. Be nice, wouldn't it? Peter said, Lord, I like it up here. I really like it. I mean, you know, you and Moses and Elijah, it's nice. Let's build three tabernacles and stay a while. Mm -mm. You know what Jesus knew? At the foot of that mountain, there was a demon-possessed boy and a desperate daddy. Look, please, they had to go. And I want you to know, we're coming off the mountain tomorrow, and you're going back to some of your tough home situations and lost friends struggles you had before you came here they're going to be waiting on you when you get there there's going to be spiritual opposition something's going to smack you right in the face and you're going to have to determine at that moment if you're going to keep following jesus and if you're going to go home and simply be the person that god saved you to become if you're going to go home and obey god god said go the olympics have been going on i've caught snippets of it here and there Years ago, there was a man by the name of John Stephen Akwari. He was the fastest man in the world. He was running in the Olympics in Mexico City. He was the favored by far. He was out in front of the pack running the marathon. He was a shoe-in until he fell. He tripped over his own two feet. Nobody else to blame. Took a bad fall. Bloodied his leg, messed it up badly. The crowd oohed and awed for a few moments. You know how people are, and then they move on with the rest of the pack and kind of almost forgot Aquari. He was old news now. <laughs> Men do that. Jesus never does. Aquari, an hour after the winner crossed the finish line in the stadium in Mexico City, came stumbling into the stadium. Most of the crowd had dispersed. Most of the news crews had gone home. He's limping, wincing in pain with every ounce of strength in his body. He gets to the finish line and collapses across it. No medal. No pictures. And a reporter saw him, but running over to him and said, Mr. Aquari, you knew you weren't going to win the gold medalist crossed more than an hour ago. It's been over a while. How put yourself through all this pain? The reporter later said that John Stephen Aquari struggled to his feet, the last ounce of strength in his body, and straightened himself as tall as he could and got right in that reporter's face. John Stephen Aquari said to him, My country, he was from Tanzania, he said, My country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. I want to tell you something, young man, young lady. God didn't do all this work in your heart this week for you to simply start a race. He wants you to finish the race. And it's going to be tough. 
I just saw the other day, during all this Olympics, they pulled it out again somewhere. I just saw the other day, they posted an old Sports Illustrated cover from another Olympic Games where Derek Redman was running, and I don't know what it was, 400 meters or something. Derek Redman was running, and he was, at that moment, the fastest man in the race, and way out in front, he pulled a hamstring or something, and there is a, there's a, a picture of Derek Redman limping along in excruciating agony, just trying to get to the finish line. And a man in the stands, they caught it on film, it's fascinating, a man in the stands comes rushing down out of the stands, jumps over the barrier, brushes past security, runs onto the track and gets up under Derek, puts his arm around him and helps him limp across the finish line. You know who that guy was? It was his daddy. His father had his eye on him. And at the very moment that Derek thought he couldn't go on any farther, his father rushed to his side and helped him get across the finish line. Listen to me with your heart, please. There are going to be moments you think, I can't do this anymore. I remember camp was nice and everything, but I can't do this anymore. And you're thinking about stopping the race. I want you to know at that moment your heavenly Father has his eye on you. And if you'll just believe him and obey him, he will rush to where you are. He will strengthen your hands for this good work. And he will help you go on to the finish line. I tell you, God says go. And every one of us must determine tonight if we're going to go. The truth is, you're going home one way or another. The question is, what kind of person you're going to be when you get there? If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit, and don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.